0: Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's message from Lead Pastor Neil Krauss is from the series Church Hunters. For more information about forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Good morning forward church it is so good to be back we have my, my family and i have been gone for about three weekends where we've been on vacation enjoyed some time away we're rested ready to, to dive back in and i've really missed you guys i'm excited to be back here today and preaching god's word if you would go ahead and turn in your bibles to the second uh, second thessalonians chapter two is where we're going to be on page 989 of that bible is under your chair you can grab that and turn to page 989 we're continuing in this series titled Church Hunters. And while I was gone, Blake kicked off this series. He's done a fantastic job over the last two weeks of really introducing and teaching this series through chapter one of 2 Thessalonians. And he has explained that basically this series is titled Church Hunters, kind of mirrored off of HGTV's show House Hunters. Because in that show, if you've ever seen it, the couples, you know, they show up at the beginning, it talks about these couples, they're looking for a home, and they have a list of non-negotiables. There are certain things they're looking for in a house and we all kind of do the same thing right when we're searching for a house we put this list together of these are things that I want to make sure this house has for it to be our home well we kind of do the same thing with a church when we're searching for a church when we're looking for a church we look for certain things that are non-negotiables my family and I while we were on vacation we started looking for a church to visit on Sunday morning and there are certain non-negotiables that I look for when I look on their website or I hear about the church and I'm trying to find out you know what they believe and if it's a church that I want to attend. Well, if you missed the last two weeks, you really need to go back to the podcast or the website and listen to Blake's sermons. He did a fantastic job of preaching. And last week, he preached passionately about the importance of God's church being excited about the return of Jesus. Because Scripture is clear that Jesus will be back. But you know, there's a lot of confusion about Jesus coming back, and there was confusion among the church in Thessalonica. They were getting confused about Jesus returning because there were false teachers who were painting a fake picture of the return of Jesus. There were false teachers who were painting this picture that didn't look like what's really going to happen. And you see, that's what Satan has done throughout history. Satan is a master counterfeiter. Satan paints pictures that look totally different than what reality is. He has worked tirelessly throughout history to try to counterfeit everything that God does. When you look throughout Scripture, you look throughout the Bible, since the beginning, Satan has wanted to be like God, so he always counterfeits everything that God does, and he tries to make a knockoff, a a fake of the real thing. And what he does is, he takes something that's unholy, something that's unrighteous, he twists it, he contorts it, he manipulates it, and he tries to make it look acceptable to the church. It's kind of like this, you know, we just got back from vacation and we had a fantastic time. The condo in Amelia Island was beautiful. We had been there before. It's, it's right on the beach. We can wake up, sit on the balcony, look out and see the ocean. You know, within, we, we wake up in the morning, we just walk straight out and sit there and watch the sunrise on the ocean. It was an incredible, incredible time. We got to have a lot of great relaxing family time. We went kayaking on the Amelia River right there near the ocean. It was amazing. But you know what? We had been there before, so we knew what we were getting. There were no surprises for us. But if you've ever traveled at all, if you've traveled to some place you've never been before, you know that the brochures and the websites, they don't always paint the right picture of what it is that you're getting, right? Anybody ever a little nervous when you're looking online to try to book a hotel or book a place and you're thinking, is it really going to look like what they're telling me that it looks like? Am I getting the real picture here of what it's going to be? Well, I came across a site that compares some actual photos of what was advertised and then what actually they got so i'm going to ask you to put the first picture up here we're going to see this is a beautiful oasis isn't it that looks like paradise i mean that swimming pool it goes right out it looks like it's an infinity pool that just goes right into the ocean you can swim in it and next thing you know you're in the ocean that is a place that i would love to visit but let's look at the real picture of what you get little different than what the website put, right? This is when the people actually showed up and took a picture there. I mean, it's beautiful, it's nice, but it's nothing like the picture that they advertised. Now let's look at the next one. This one is a buffet. I mean, look at that. Look at those chefs with their hats on. They're smiling. They're excited. This couple is so excited to dig in. It looks like there's lobster and steak, and the, the chef's there cutting the meat for them. I mean, that looks like it's going to be amazing when you stay at this hotel. Let's look at what they actually got. <laughs> Anybody just lose their appetite? The picture that was advertised is nothing like the reality of what they got. We've got one more. We'll take a look at this next one. This is in Washington, D.C. Look at the Hyatt. It looks like you're going to walk out of the Hyatt and you're going to be right there. I mean, you're going to be in the front lawn whenever you step out of your hotel so you don't have to walk, you don't have to get a cab, you don't have to do anything. But let's see what actually this looks like. Kind of far off in the distance, isn't it? They edited out buildings. They cut out buildings from that picture and made it look like it's right there. You see, often the things that are advertised are not what we actually get And that's, sadly, the truth in some churches. You see, some churches, they will say one thing, and then you get another thing. Once you start to dig in a little bit, you find out the truth. Sometimes there's a a discrepancy from what the sign says out front and what's being taught inside. Sometimes the website or social media makes things look a little different than they really are. So let me suggest today that there's also a picture of Jesus that I think most of us have in our minds, that does not fully reveal who he is. You see, I think some of us have seen this counterfeit picture of what Jesus looks like, and we have an unfinished or counterfeit view of even who Jesus is. So it's my prayer that by the end of this sermon, you will have a more accurate picture of Jesus Christ. Because in today's passage, we see Paul warning the church not to be deceived. He's saying, don't be deceived by false teachers and what they're saying out there. You make sure you know the truth. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read from God's Holy Word today. We're in chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, and here's what God says in His Word. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every soul called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore. God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You can be seated. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word today. This is kind of a confusing passage as we read it and as we begin to dig into it. The church in Thessalonica was anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus. They were excited about Jesus returning. They were excited about the truth that he will return and he's going to rescue his church from the enemy. However, there were false teachers who were spreading lies that Jesus had already returned and that they had missed out on that. There were false teachers painting a fake picture of reality. So verses 1 through 2 say, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So someone had been teaching and even counterfeited a letter as though it were from Paul and Silas and Timothy and claiming that the rapture or the day of the Lord had already come. So Paul is writing to them to put them at ease and he's reassuring them that they would not missed out. He's saying, don't listen to those false teachings. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him. This is referencing what we know as the rapture of God's church. God's church being gathered together with Him. You see, there will come a day when Jesus gathers His church to Himself in what is called the rapture. The rapture is something that the whole church should be excited about. The church in Thessalonica, they were excited about it coming. And then these false teachers were telling them, hey it's already happened you've missed out on it well john 14 speaks of this where jesus is preparing rooms for us his church to live in heaven with him in john 14 3 jesus says this and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and will take you to myself that where i am you may be also this is speaking of jesus coming and gathering his church In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, it says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day. What day? The day drawing near when Jesus gathers his people together. It's the day of the rapture when Jesus gathers his church to himself. So he's saying, don't neglect meeting together. You need each other. You meet together as a church. You encourage one another. You love one another. You do good works because the day's coming when God's going to get his church and he's going to gather them together. That's the hope that we have in Jesus, that he is coming back for us. But the church in Thessalonica was being lied to. They were being told that they had no hope because Jesus had already come because Jesus had left them behind these false teachers were putting a false picture of Jesus in front of them and isn't that what Satan does today. He lies to us and and makes us question Jesus. He gives us a a false picture of who Jesus really is. And some of us don't have a full picture of the reality of who Jesus is. And we might question, is Jesus really going to come back for me? Would Jesus really gather me and allow me in his church, in his family for eternity? Is he going to gather me with his people? And scripture reassures us that we have not missed out. Scripture tells us we've not missed out. Paul gives us some markers of how we can be sure of that. And he says, Don't be fooled by the enemy. The enemy's going to make you doubt. The enemy's going to make you fear. The enemy's going to make you question. So here's another non negotiable of the church that you should be hunting for it's a church that's not easily led astray by the counterfeits of the enemy. You see, the enemy's going to throw counterfeit after counterfeit after counterfeit at you. And he's going to try to trick you. And he's going to try to give you a lesser version of who Jesus really is. So you need to understand who Jesus is and what his coming will look like. Paul had already written to them about the rapture and about the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians. It had only been a few months since he had written and sent that. And yet they were all confused about the persecution that they were facing and the false teachings that they were hearing and, and the times were so bad, the persecution so strong, they were suffering so much that they started to believe that they were in the middle of the tribulation, that they had missed and they had not been gathered with Jesus. But the picture the enemy was painting was not matching up with the truth of what Paul and Silas and Timothy were teaching them. Paul had made it clear that believers were not going to go through the wrath of the tribulation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, he tells the church, Wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Then he continues in chapters 5, 9 through 11. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Paul is encouraging the church. He's encouraging the church to say that there will come a day when Jesus will gather his church together. Do not live in fear of wrath because God has not destined us for wrath. You see, a major non-negotiable is a church that recognizes that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. We should write that on everything that we own. We should remind ourselves of that every day. We should wake up in the morning saying, Jesus is my hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. Because you see, we've got a world that feels hopeless. We've got a lot of people I come across all the time that have lost hope, that don't have hope, that think there is no hope. And we look at, if we just watch the news and look at social media and look at the, the, all the thing that's going on in the world, we say, man, there just seems to be no hope anymore. But Jesus is our hope. And that's what Paul is reminding us of. That's what Scripture is reminding us of. In a world that feels hopeless, Jesus is our hope. And the church in Thessalonica was being deceived and they were losing hope. They were living in fear. But the truth of Jesus sets us free from that fear and it gives us hope. But how do we know, how do we discern when something is a counterfeit or if it is truth? How do you know that what I'm teaching you and telling you is truth? How do you know if the preacher that you listen to in a podcast or a church you visit on vacation is telling the truth? How do you know if a church that you visited is telling the truth? How do you know if the book you just read was telling the truth? How do we discern whether the picture of that pool that we saw online, if it's really an infinity pool or if it's just a kiddie pool taken from a deceiving angle? We go to the source. We go see for ourselves, right? That's how we find out the truth. We don't just take someone's word for it. You go check it out for yourself. And the same is true with God's Word, with the Bible. How do we know when someone's teaching us if it's true? We line it up with the source we go to the source and we see if it's true don't just take someone's word for it you see for yourself when i teach you something you look to the scripture and you see if what i said lines up with what god says that's the main reason why we at forward church preach straight through scripture that's why we take scripture we explain it we look at it we study it because i don't want you to think i'm making this stuff up I'm not making it up. I'm teaching what God's Word says. And we, though, have to look at what anyone says, and we have to measure it against God's Word. We have to see for ourselves if it's true. So you have to read the Bible for yourself. And I know this book, it looks big. It can be very confusing. It's got a lot of things in it that when we read them, we get confused. But that's why God has given us His Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we get baptized, when we become believers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, He gives us the gift of His Holy Spirit to live inside of us. His Holy Spirit is our counselor. His Holy Spirit is our helper. His Holy Spirit is our teacher to help us know what He is saying in His Holy Word. His Holy Spirit helps us understand the Scriptures. You may read something in your quiet time and find that it's very confusing. And you think, what am I reading? Sometimes you look in the Old Testament and read through things. It can be very, very confusing. What I suggest you do is a couple of things so that you do not be deceived. When you pick up God's word and you begin to read it, number one, pray for the Holy Spirit to help you understand what you read. You have the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You pray, God, would you give me wisdom to understand your word by the power of your Holy Spirit? Then as you read, you may still feel confused about things and need some clarification. Find a trusted commentary that you can read that speaks to that scripture. And then ask a trusted friend for their thoughts on that verse. There is power when we encourage one another, when we help one another, when we learn together with one another to learn God's word and understand and have clarity in his word. But we always have to go back to the source, to the Bible as our source for truth. So no matter what commentary you read, no matter what person you talk to, you still have to go back to God's Word and say, does all that make sense with what God is saying here? Always go back to the source. The Thessalonians should have been more careful like the Bereans. You've heard of the Bereans? They did not accept all teaching at face value. No matter who was teaching it, no matter who authorized it, they always went back to the Scripture to measure it against that. Acts 17, verse 11 speaks of the Bereans and says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. You see, those in Thessalonica, they were being deceived. They were, they were falling astray because they weren't going back to the source. It says, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they were taking teachings with all eagerness. They were listening and they were saying, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But then they would examine the scriptures daily and they would see if those things were so. So do you want to know what is true in life? You examine the scriptures daily. And when you do that, you'll find hope, you'll find peace because you will gain understanding. Now, you won't have all the answers. None of us will ever have all the answers, but you will gain understanding. I am still learning from God on a regular basis, it is a process. I am so thankful that today I know so much more than I knew five years ago. And I'm thankful that the truth is there that five years from now, I'll know so much more than I know today. We're all in this process, this journey of knowing God more, of learning more from His Word and listening to the Holy Spirit speak to us and teach us. It's a process. And our goal is to know God more every day. You see, Paul continues by explaining that something is going to happen that makes it clear that the day of the lord is coming he's already said that the church will be raptured in verse one then in verse three he says there will be a rebellion there's going to be this great rebellion this rebellion will be unlike any other time in human history and there'll be specific events that will happen one of those events will be the revealing of the antichrist and paul calls him the lawless one verse 3 it says let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction so if we begin to look at the order of things throughout scripture jesus gathers his church to himself then because there's a void when the church is gone from this earth, all Christians are taken to be with Jesus, there's this void, so there's this big rebellion like never before, people rebelling against God, there's lawlessness everywhere, and that's when the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. So you see, as Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, the church wasn't gone. And today, we're here in the church, the church is still not gone today. Therefore, the Antichrist has not been revealed. So he's letting them know the Antichrist hasn't even been revealed yet because the church hasn't been taken up to be with Jesus and the, the big rebellion hasn't happened yet even though the world seems rebellious. It ha- it's nothing like what's going to happen. So you see, The Antichrist hasn't even been revealed yet. And there have been so many speculations over the years. Haven't you heard the speculations where this world leader rises up and he does horrible things, he's a terrible leader, and people say, that's the Antichrist. You know, we've had presidents that come up and we disagree with them. We're like, he's gotta be the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will not be revealed until God's church is raptured and then rebelliousness takes over. Then the Antichrist is revealed. That's my understanding of scripture is that the Antichrist will not be revealed until after Jesus takes his church home. And then the Antichrist is going to seize that opportunity. There'll be that big void for leadership. There'll be that big void on earth, and he's going to claim to be God. Matthew twenty four fifteen says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You see, there will be people who will be experiencing the Antichrist claiming to be God. And they're going to be looking for truth and they're going to come across the Bible and they're going to read this passage and then they will understand because it says, let the reader understand and it'll become known to them that the Antichrist is claiming to be God but he's not God and they will flee to the mountains because there will be nowhere else. They've got to try to find a place to hide because the rebelliousness is so horrible. And what we see is the Antichrist, he takes the throne and he claims to be God and he's trying to copy God once again. You see how he's a a counterfeit, he's a copycat, he's a fake of the real thing. So the church, the church that you should be hunting for, another non-negotiable, is a church that preaches truth. A church that preaches truth. Because although we are going to be spared from that wrath to come, Jesus did instruct us to be aware of the signs of the times and to be ready for those times because we need to share the truth with everyone that we know. Because we do not want anyone to experience that time of tribulation. We need to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus so that everyone we know would be spared of this horrible time. And verse 3 says there will be a revolt against God unlike anything the world's ever seen. That antichrist will be revealed. It's going to be a horrible time on earth. However, we have to remember this. This is only going to happen when God allows it to happen. So while it seems horrible, While it seems terrible, God will allow this to happen. Verses 6 through 7 says, And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. God will not allow the Antichrist to have power until the appointed time. His church will be out of the way. And then God will allow the Antichrist to wreak havoc on earth. God loves us so much. He loves his church so much. He's going to remove us from the equation. And he's going to allow the Antichrist to wreak havoc. God is restraining him for now because he loves us. He loves his church. And the Bible's showing us that once the church is gone, the world's going to get very ugly in a hurry. There's going to be all kinds of deceptions to lead people further away from God. And God will turn people who have rejected him and his truth, He will turn them over to their sin. There's going to be counterfeit miracles. Once again, copycat. There's going to be counterfeit signs, counterfeit wonders. Says the coming in verses 9 and 10, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. You see, there's going to come a day when God is going to say, enough is enough. Taking my church home. And he's going to gather his church. And he's going to gather us in the rapture. And he will allow the Antichrist to then have reign on earth for a period of time to deal out wrath on those who have refused to love the truth. And that's another non-negotiable of any church that you search for. A church that will love the truth. You see, we love the truth. Because those who love the truth, the Bible says, will be saved. Those who do not love the truth will perish. There will come a day when God will abandon unrepentant sinners to their sin. And that will be a horrific day. But I don't want to dwell on that today. I want to leave you with some good news. That's what we always do. That's what God's church is about. You and I do not have to fear that day. While it's horrible, it's awful to think about, it's tragic. You and I do not have to fear that day. God has given us a way to escape that wrath. You see, while this text today, it seems dark, it appears to be focused on the Antichrist. It is painting a picture, but the picture is not, I would say, of doom and gloom and the Antichrist. The real picture of this text that we're looking at today that we should be seeing from this text today is that Jesus is awesome. That's the reality of this text. You see, when you look deep into this text, you will find hope, you will find peace, you will find triumph, you'll find victory, you'll find a Savior who is worthy of the word awesome because He strikes awe in those who know Him. When you look at verse 8, here's what it says, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Is that awesome? He is an awesome God. And bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Jesus shows up, the breath of his mouth kills the Antichrist. He brings him to nothing just by appearing. Let me suggest to you, the focus of this whole passage is that verse right there. I think that the human writers that compiled this text and put the Bible together and put the subheadings in our Bibles, I think they got it wrong. Don't get me wrong. This is the inspired Word of God. This is His. It is infallible. But those little subheadings that are put in there, they're put in by humans to just kind of give us an idea of what that text is about. I think they got it wrong because in my Bible it says the man of lawlessness. And it's saying that's the focus of these 12 verses. Let me suggest I think it should say the man of awesomeness. Because the focus is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Every text you read in the Bible, the focus is Jesus Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords, he is the focus. So a non-negotiable of the church that you look for is that Jesus is always the focus. It is all about Jesus. Jesus is going to return, and when he does, he will kill the Antichrist with the very breath of his mouth. Doesn't that sound awesome? Isn't that an awesome Savior? Listen to this. The church that you're hunting for, God's church, will teach of the reality of hell, will warn of the lives of Satan, but the focus will always come around to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who will overthrow the enemy, and it will bring the good news of salvation to all who believe in him, because it is Jesus who gives us hope. Jesus is our hope. You see, I think we've been tricked, I think we've been deceived. I think we've been given a fake picture of who Jesus really is. And if you'll follow me on this train of thought for just a minute. For most of my life, I had a picture in my mind of what Jesus looks like. I grew up in the church. As a kid, I went to Sunday school. I went to vacation Bible school. How many of us grew up in the church? Some of you, maybe you never did. Some of us did, some of us didn't. But you probably have a picture of Jesus in your mind. And I'm going to kind of age myself here. But when I was a really little kid, I remember a thing called a flannel graph. Anybody remember that? Some of you may remember the flannel graph. It was this flannel board, and they would, the teacher would pull out these little characters, the sheep, and stick them to the flannel board, and they just kind of magically stick to it. And then they would pull out Jesus, and Jesus looked a certain way, didn't he? I mean, Jesus had this flowing robe on. He had this long, flowing brown hair, olive skin. He had this look in his eye of just how much I love you. And he just had a certain look to him. Sometimes, if you close your eyes and I ask you to picture Jesus, you might have a picture of Jesus like that with a perfectly manicured beard. And he was just this calm, gentle person. And there's gentleness in his eyes, a smile on his face. Maybe he's sitting on a big rock. You've seen that picture? And there's children all around him. They're in his lap, and they're all smiling and laughing and having... a great time and that's a beautiful picture of Jesus don't get me wrong that's part of who Jesus is but some of us maybe maybe we've seen a picture in our mind of him carrying a lamb and you know he's got this sweet little lamb and maybe he's kind of petting it and he's just gently taking care of his lamb because that's his follower and you know that's an example of us or maybe you would have a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross Maybe the picture you would picture of Jesus is him hanging on the cross and he's beaten and he's dying and he's bleeding and he, is, he has been overcome by this world, so to speak. Or maybe you have a picture of Jesus outside the empty tomb and, and the picture that you have is of him on the flannel graph with beams of light shooting out from him, right? You know, and that's kind of the picture that we have. He's dressed in white and he's got these beams and he's glowing. Or maybe you even picture him as a lion. You know, I sometimes picture Jesus as a lion, but... The lion you picture is probably more like a stuffed lion. The lion that you and I picture and that I picture for so long was just this calm, tame lion. A lion that I could hug around the neck. He's declawed. He's not dangerous. You know, he's there to just kind of nuzzle me. And I, he's kind of more like a cat than a lion. You see, the, the picture that many of us have of Jesus is a declawed, defanged, cuddly lion. That loves us. And he does love us. But what I'm learning is that that picture is incomplete. That picture does not show us what we're truly going to get when Jesus returns. Because scripture paints a very vivid picture of Jesus. Paints a picture of Jesus when he returns. And the picture of Jesus when he returns is absolutely awesome. And I would argue that we misuse the word awesome all the time. Because we use it a lot. And I went on vacation a couple weeks ago with my family, and it was awesome. We kayaked down the river of Amelia Island, and man, that was awesome. We went to these cool seafood restaurants, and I had these fish tacos that were awesome. We rode for 13 to 15 hours back home, and man, that was awesome. You see, we use the word awesome in a lot of ways, but I think we misuse it. Because really the only person, the only reason we should use that word awesome is when we speak of Jesus, because he strikes all in those who truly see him. He is truly awesome. And let me tell you why. Listen to what scripture says about our awesome king. In the book of Revelation, John is given a vision of what Jesus will look like when he returns, and he describes Jesus this way in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. He says, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Meaning you couldn't even look at it. You ever tried to look at the sun when it's in full strength? You can't even glance at it. And he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. When John, this bold man of God, this follower of Jesus, laid eyes on him, he fell as though dead at his feet, church, when was the last time you were overwhelmed by the awesome power and presence of Almighty God? When was the last time that you trembled as you entered into the church building to draw near to God through worship? When was the last time during a worship set that you felt, I've just got to get to my knees because I feel the presence of God Almighty? You see, we've been given this false picture of what God is and what it means to follow Him and who Jesus is and how mighty He is. We sing about His might. We sing about His awesomeness. We sing about how great He is. but I don't think we really comprehend it. We've been sold a declawed version of the Lion of Judah. And we picture Him as cuddly, But let me tell you, he's dangerous. He's dangerous in a beautiful way because he loves you and me so much. He gave his life for us and he's going to come back to rescue us from wrath. Look a little further at Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. John says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Man, I want to know what that name is. I can't wait to find out what that name is that's written on him that only he knows. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you recognize that is Jesus when he's coming back and the only one who can strike awe in people is Jesus. The enemy will be defeated forever by the breath of his mouth. And the beauty for those of us who proclaim our faith in this awesomeness of Jesus is this. We get to be a part of the army of heaven. Verse thirteen says, um, verse 14 says, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That's us. Church, that is us. We get gathered to be with him and then we get to come back as part of his army and we get a white horse. Do you know what that means? Do you know why we have a white horse? Why we'll be following him on horses? Do you know that the image that John uses, why he uses a white horse, is because in that day, the horse was a weapon of war. That was what a horse was, as seen as strong and valiant, and this weapon of war. Kings would shout out to their army, mount up! And they would mount up on their horses, and they would charge off into battle. Well, the white horse, it's a sign of victory. And let me tell you, The day is coming when God the Father, who is sitting on his throne, has Jesus, the resurrected Christ, sitting at his right hand when he's going to look over at Jesus and he's simply going to say, Mount up. And Jesus is not going to hesitate. He's going to get on his white horse and he's going to come charging to earth. And guess who's behind him? His church on white horses, which means victory which means victory is coming. You see, another non-negotiable of God's church is that it is a church that lives victoriously. You and I as a church need to live in victory because we have victory secured in Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Do you have that hope? If not, you need to know you can walk out of here today victorious by placing your faith in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is a way to escape the oncoming wrath, and it is through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that every one of us today will leave here with a proper picture of Jesus in our minds. That we won't see a copycat picture. We won't see a fake picture. We'll see the full picture. That Jesus loves us so much that He gave His life for us. He died on the cross for us. He resurrected from the grave for us. He conquered death for us. He sits at the right hand of God Almighty waiting for us. And He will gather us back with Him. And then when God gives him the mount-up call, he will come riding in and he will defeat the enemy forever because Jesus is awesome and Jesus is our hope. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your grace. God, we repent of the fact that many of us have been sold this copycat picture of who Jesus is maybe we've just seen him as that cuddly lion. And God, he is because he's gentle with us and he loves us and he's patient with us. But he will also come back as a victorious king. In the very breath of his mouth, he will defeat the Antichrist. He will destroy Satan forever. And that king has the power to deliver us from sin. God, may that leave us in awe today. May we see you as you truly are in your love for us, in your greatness, in your power, in your grace that you offer us. May that bring us to our knees. Father, some of us in this room today, we need to just come to the altar and take a knee and bow before you and say, God, we're so grateful that you sent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for us. Others of us need to come and bow at the altar and say, God, I didn't know, but now I do. And I want to follow you. I want to follow Jesus. I want to accept that delivery from wrath. I want to be a part of your church. I want to be a part of that group that gets gathered up with Jesus and delivered from wrath. May is in that place know that they can do that simply by taking a knee and saying, God, I didn't know, but now I do, and I want to follow Jesus. It's that simple. God, may we walk out of here today, every single one of us, assured of the victory that we have and the white horse that's coming our way. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name as we worship you today. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as lead pastor Neil Krauss continues in the series, Church Hunters. For more information about forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.